now time for the children to come forward and we'll have a children's moment together. Yes. Love the sound of those feet, Kelly. It's awesome. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Yes. I love that. Good morning. Okay, so this morning we're talking about kindness in church. So I wanted to talk a little bit about how I've seen you guys be kind. Sometimes in children's church, we are kind to one another by helping each other build and put together puzzles. We've worked together to put together puzzles. And afterwards, after we listen to Pastor Maggie, which is also a kindness, we build towers. But you, but you, can, you can be kind not just to one another, but you can also be kind to the earth. Have you ever gardened before? Planted seeds? Yeah. And they grew up. Right, when it gets warmer, we're going to plant seeds. That's a kindness that you can do to the earth, which is pretty amazing. And you can not only be kind to one another and to creation, you know, the earth, but you can also be kind to your toys, right? Like you can make sure that you dress your baby and you can make sure that you clean your toys and put them away so that they're nice. Yeah. Exactly. So that's a great way to be kind to animals. We talked about his chihuahua and how he couldn't get inside, and so she picked him up gently and put him back down. There are so many ways that we can be kind to one another. So we're, you can talk more about kindness with Pastor Maggie in Children's Church and with your parents. But right now we're going to pray, and then and then head our and then I'm going to talk to the to the adults. Will you pray with me? Ready? Pray. Dear God, thank you so much for all the ways that are coming through our minds about ways that we can be kind to each other, ways that we can be kind to the earth, ways that we can be kind to our toys and things around us. We're so grateful that we're connected and we're connected through our kindness. Thank you, God, for being kind to us and loving us so that we can love others. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much. If you're two, three, four. Is that right? Perfect. Three, four, five. <laughs> Go with Pastor Stacy and Pastor Maggie. Yep. The head that way. Five. Perfect. I'm going to head with Pastor Stacy. Perfect. You can go with them. I love this. Yeah. Do you want to go to Children's Church? You can go. Okay. We'll figure that out. Wonderful. We are currently in a sermon series on love, to learn how to love always. And a, a better way for us to learn is to take little snippets of 1 Corinthians 13. So we've been doing that. Where Last week was love is patient. This week, love is kind. Love is not envy. You can see the lineup. And we'll be going through each one of those so that we can learn how to love better. But this morning, we're talking about kindness. And so I decided to do a little Google search of the etymology of kindness. And I learned that the root word for kindness is actually kin. This is a German word that means family, relations, belonging to one another, that, that blood bond, that, that kinship uh, that you have with your family. And in the 14th century, it, was, it became kindness by treating others 
as you would those in which you love the most. And so kindness went from this place of love and belonging within your family and extended out to everyone that we meet. So this morning, I don't just want to talk about kindness. I want to talk about kindness. Our sense of belonging to one another, that connection that makes us, our health, our wholeness, deeply connected to those around us and their health and their wholeness. And what better way to talk about that than using the metaphor that Paul uses in this first letter to Corinthians, the body of Christ. In first century culture, it wasn't uncommon to use the metaphor of a body. But the way that they would use it was it would say, the head makes the decisions and everyone follows suit, follow the leader. This hierarchical metaphor using the body. So what Paul does in his letter is actually revolutionizes the way that we even understand a metaphor of the body. And so he says, the head can't say to the foot, I don't need you because someday you're gonna to have to go somewhere. And when one suffers, when one part of the body suffers, all suffer with it. And when one rejoices, they all suffer with it. Anyone who's ever stubbed your toe knows that when one small part suffers, the whole body suffers. And even more revolutionary, he says, that those, that are, those parts that are, seem indispensable are actually given value and honored. Probably the person that I can think of that talks best about kinship and being kin and that mutuality, the way that we belong to one another, the way that my health and well-being is connected to others' health and well-being, is Father Gregory Boyle. You have heard me talk about him before. I feel like I use him in every sermon that I give just because the way that he speaks about the way God sees this world. Father Boyle in the 1990s, um, was, uh, was uh, given a parish in the middle of uh, the highest gang violence in the nation in LA. And um, he started making relationships with his neighbors and he created a school for those that had been kicked out of schools elsewhere. He's created nonprofits for folks with barriers to employment. He created many, many businesses called Homeboy Industries where gang members work side by side with one another but when he talks about all the things that he's done over the last 40 or so years, he, he talks about it as, as a place of belonging. He says, you don't have to change your actions in order to be, in order to belong here. That there's never been an us versus them. And that the very nature of the ministries is one gang member working next to a completely different gang member, breaking bread together. It's this incredible way to view the world and when he talks about those that we've seen as indispensable in our society, he says, he talks about how he was also raised in LA in a completely different zip code. And the things that he has to carry is not anywhere near the trauma that he's experienced with his neighbors in, um, in his, by his parish. And so he says, instead of judging those for the way that they carry, why don't we honor them for the, the fact that they're surviving what they've had to endure and be a part of it. He's honoring these, these members that we've been seen as indispensable in our society. He understands that his health and well-being is deeply connected to the health and well-being of all people on this earth, especially those on the margins. And yet, it doesn't stop with human beings. 
this connection, this kinship, this kindness can extend to the earth, to creation, to the natural world. I'm deeply inspired by Greta Thornburg and her story. See, she has this amazing ability to fixate and focus on one thing. She was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome and she, when she learned in middle school about climate change and global warming, she just fixated and honed in on it in a way that was so profound for her and for her family uh, that, that she was, when she learned about it, she was like, wait a minute, this climate is changing and it's affecting those in the biggest poverty areas. Um, that, that their crops are dying and we have famines. And when she was processing through the information that she heard, how it was affecting animals and the earth, she, she went into this deep depression and she stopped eating and she stopped talking. And her dad talked about how she's like, well, like I kept telling her like, oh no, hon, it's, it's gonna be okay. And then he learned more about it and he's like, wait a minute. <laughs> like, I, I think she's right. And so as a family, they decided to make drastically different decisions in order to decrease their carbon footprint. Her mom, who was an opera singer that traveled all around Europe, stopped taking planes. They started eating foods that, um, that, that, that again, reduced their carbon footprint, and they started um, moving uh, towards the places that they go. And everything in their lives began to change slowly by slowly, one decision at a time. And it, it began to heal Greta from her depression. And she decided that she wanted to do something about it. And um, so she, she skipped school on Fridays um, in Sweden and decided to sit in front of parliament and hold a sign that said, if you really cared about my future, <laughs> you would care about climate change. And so she started alone and then all of a sudden other people and youth started joining her and then she created this entire revolution around the world of people looking at climate change in a new way and making decisions little by little because she understood that her health and well-being was deeply connected to the health and well-being of creation and that that was deeply connected with all the people around her. This kindness that she saw the way that God sees the world. And yet, I don't think that it stops with just creation. I think it, it rolls over even into the seemingly mundane and inanimate objects around us. I am a disciple of Marie Kondo. You might know her for her TV show about tidying up, but it's, it's beyond tidying. It's beyond just having a clean house. It's, um, it's, it's, recognizing the connection with things and the ways that they give joy or, or ways that we can be in, in, utilize the things for our service and the service of others. At the beginning of her episode, she goes and finds a room in the house and she kneels down and she um, basically sits in silence to connect with the space because she believes that the space around us, the way that it is, actually helps and informs who we are. And so she begins her process with this silence, setting an intention. It's actually deeply rooted in the Shinto religion. And in her process, when she's trying to help evaluate whether some things stay or some things go, let's just say it's a piece of clothing. So she, do you take the t-shirt and you see if it gives you joy? And if it does, then you fold it neatly in a way that you can utilize it and it can be a part of your life in a, in a better way. But if you don't need, if it doesn't spark joy in your life, you don't just throw it away. You thank it for its service 
and you find it a new home. See, she recognizes this deep kindness with the things around there, the way that they are shaping who we are and we use them. You might be wondering this morning why I'm wearing the wrong color stole, unless you're colorblind and then green and red look a lot alike. But this is a red stole and not in the ordinary time of green. I think for me, this is probably the thing in my life that actually represents this kindness most, most deeply for me. You might see just some threads and some cloth, but for me, this stole was given to me on my ordination by uh, Margaret Williams. It was worn by Michael for many years. It was made by a costume designer. You know, this stole gives me the bravery to stand up here. And I believe maybe it makes me a little bit better of a storyteller. See, some things that just seem mundane, we are connected to them. And they not only connect us with ourselves, but they connect us with one another and with the earth. This kindness that shapes us. So, very frequently, when I'm out in the world or on the internet, if you will, I don't see a ton of kindness. And I think to myself, oh my goodness, ooh, that person's making me feel some kind of way about their actions. This kindness seems to be lost. But I hope that I'll put things in my life, like maybe a tumbler, maybe 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 something to remind me of this kindness, this deeper connection that my health and well-being is connected to the health and well-being of that person. And just maybe that will help me to learn and grow in loving kindness that Paul is talking about here, to see God in all that we meet. Amen.